The Gucci Girl, Prada Professional, Coach Queen, or Target Trendsetter. No matter how you describe her, she's the most powerful consumer in the country. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Join marketing to women expert Maria Ritan, principal at Top Sale Strategies, as she chats with those in the know so that your business can grow. Now please welcome our host of Purse Strings, Maria Ritan. Good afternoon and welcome to Purse Strings. I'm Maria Retan. Thanks so much for joining me today. You can catch Purse Strings right here every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Each and every week, you'll learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country, the 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending. The woman, of course. Well, first up, an article in Media Post by Jody Littleton on millennials and their love of a good bargain. Now, we all love a good bargain. It's not that it's just millennials that love a good mar- bargain, but there's new data out that shows that 97% of 18 to 34 year olds owning a smartphone. Um, are actually using digital coupons on a regular basis. Um, These digital coupons go above and beyond saving a few dollars. According to their results, they actually make shopping an easy, personalized, shareable, and completely friendly uh, experience. 48% of millennials use online coupons compared to 39% of Gen Xers and 32% of baby boomers uh, just last year. And apparently digital couponing has exploded. There's websites, as you probably know, dedicated to this exclusively. And millennials are out there actively searching for them. Uh, With Amazon.com's purchase of Whole Foods, uh, we're going to see millennials probably embracing online grocery shopping as well. Uh, We have seen, of course, that consumers expect more from grocery suppliers. They are expecting home delivery, online shopping, and discounts. So we're going to see this really start to hit the grocery market, which is something that we haven't seen as prevalent as other retailers. Um, When an online survey asked nearly 9,000 consumers if they would buy more groceries online if they could use coupons, 57% said they would. But millennials, millennials specifically, 73% of them said they would. Again, I think it's just their comfort uh, with apps and online shopping in general. And, of course, everyone's craze about trying to save some dollars. Our purse profile today is the Dior Diva. There's nearly one million of these women. They're the opposite of millennials. They're the, on the other age spectrum. In her early 60s, a third of them are grandparents and retired. They're very affluent with a household income of more than $165,000. They're confident. Uh, they're financially secure. They're happy, happy and optimistic. They love to indulge in the arts, cultures, uh, other cultures and entertaining and they often have second homes. Um, again, they, they love their luxury cars and they love their indulgent beauty products as well. So where can you find them? Of course, these women are online. They're on a lot of travel and business sites, as you might expect. They're also a big Hallmark Channel and Lifetime uh, movie uh, watchers, and they read a lot of uh, bon Appetit, Condé Nast Traveler, El Decor, um, a lot of those high-end uh, home and shelter food and traveling publications. Well, my guest today knows a lot about the affluent woman, especially those that lived in the 20th century, either at the turn of the 20th century and in her latest um, 
her, her latest book, uh, Meryl Gordon is looking at a woman who was really a socialite in the 1960s. Meryl is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Mrs. Astor Regrets and Phantom of Fifth Avenue, a Wall Street Journal bestseller as well. She is an award-winning journalist and a regular contributor to Vanity Fair. She is on the graduate journalism faculty at New York University's Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute, and she is considered an expert on elder abuse and has appeared on NPR, CNN, and other outlets. Um, She is going to be coming up at the Miami Book Fair here in November debuting her very latest book on very powerful and wealthy women. This is on Bunny Miller, the life of an American-style legend. Bunny Bunny Mellon was a style icon and American aristocrat who designed the White House Rose Garden for her friend John F. Kennedy and served as a living witness to 20th century American history. She operated at a high level of arenas of politics, diplomacy, art, and fashion. She died in 2014 at age 103, and uh, her life uh, was complex and plagued in some regards by scandal. It's a fascinating book, and Meryl Gordon certainly did her journalistic due diligence, interviewing more than 175 people to capture the spirit of this talented American original. You're going to want to stick around for my chat with Meryl Gordon. It's going to happen right in a minute after Purse Strings returns. Stick around. Purse Strings will be right back after a word from our advertisers. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Book lovers and hundreds of compelling contemporary authors are heading to Miami for the 34th Annual Miami Book Fair, Friday, November 17th through Sunday, November 19th. See in person amazing authors, including Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Al Franken, Russell Banks, Michael Eric Dyson, Armistead Malpin, Angela J. Davis, Scott Turo, Walter Isaacson, and many more. The 34th Annual Miami Book Fair. For more information, visit MiamiBookFair.com. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Her Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Rutan. Welcome back to Purse Strings. My guest today is Meryl Gordon. She's the author of actually three books. The latest is a a brand new book that we're going to be speaking to her about today. You may have read her New York Times bestselling Mrs. Astor Regrets and The Phantom of Fifth Avenue, a Wall Street Journal um, bestseller as well. Uh, 
She is an award-winning journalist and regular contributor to Vanity Fair. Um, you may know that of the Miami Book Fair, well, Meryl's going to be there in November debuting that newest book called Bunny Mellon, The Life of an American Style Legend. It's a new biography of Bunny Mellon who, um, if you were alive back in the 60s and you follow JFK and his beautiful wife, you may have seen Bunny um, alongside Jackie O. She was considered to be Jackie O's best friend and also had some very high-profile projects there at the White House. She died back in 2014 at age 103. And while she was a socialite, believe it or not, she was also fairly press shy. So uh, Meryl Gordon's book uh, really does give us a glimpse into Bunny Mellon's fascinating life and this fascinating woman. And I'm thrilled to have Meryl on the show today. Welcome, Meryl. Thank you, Maria. So happy to be joining you. Well, the three books you have written about, these were all women that were wealthy, on the upper crust of society, somewhat eccentric, one might say. Some of them fell on hard times um, because of their celebrity in some cases, um, but all lived to a, a ripe old age. They seem to have a lot in common. That would be Brooke Astor, who get uh, Clark and now Bunny Mellon. Do you feel like you're attracted to write about certain archetypes? Well, as, as a journalist, I, I chase the news. And what happened for all three of these women is late in life, they became involved in page one news and scandals. And that's where I came in. I should say, um, this is this is not my world. I grew up in Rochester, New York. My mother's a psychiatric social worker. My father was a businessman who ran the local ACLU. But I did read the uh, the gossip columns, the Susie uh, Knickerbocker, mm-hmm. Susie Maley, uh, gossip columns, and therefore I was always kind of intrigued by this world. And I, my first book, Brooke Astor, uh, came about when there was a huge front page story uh, in the New York Times. Her grandson had had sued his father for saying that he was looting Brooke's money and not taking care of her. Well, so I began working on that piece. Uh, it was an article, became a book, but I, I think I talked to every, felt like every famous person in America, from Nancy Reagan to Oscar Annette de La Renta, Henry Kissinger, David Rockefeller. So that was kind of fun. And then Huguette Clark was on page one because she, daughter of a, um, a copper magnate and senator, um, had a 42-room apartment on Fifth Avenue and enormous estates in Santa Barbara and Connecticut. And even though she was physically healthy, she spent the last 20 years of her life in a tiny hospital claustrophobic room um, because she decided she liked it there. And after she died, there was a whole family fight between her estate uh, relatives. With Bunny Millen, um, I I had heard about her for years, of course, and designed the White House Rose Garden for President Kennedy. And again, as you mentioned, um, Jackie Candionessa's best friend. But she, she had always been fairly private and had, um, was out of the headlines for decades. But in 2011, suddenly she was also front page news. She had given a lot of money to John Edwards, the disgraced North Carolina Democratic presidential candidate. He was being investigated for accepting illegal campaign contributions. Suddenly, um, Bunny was being interviewed by the FBI and helicopters were buzzing her farm. I was asked by Newsweek to write a story about her, and I thought, well, she'll she'll never talk to me. I mean, she hadn't given an interview in years, but I wrote her a letter on my pretty blue monogram stationery, and um, the phone rang a couple days later, and she called to say, um, you wrote me such a nice letter that I've decided to call you to tell you I'm not going to talk to you. 
Um, but exactly, that was my reaction. You, you know, I thought, well, you wouldn't have called me if you didn't want to talk to me, and, and she did, and she gave me the interview, and we, um, and she was nearly 101 years old at that point, and um, she was witty and funny and kind of mischievous, and um, she was all there. And uh, when she died, and she told her family she liked the story, and when she died in March 2014. Um, her grandson, Thomas Lloyd, at the funeral, literally at the reception on Bunny's farm, came to me to say, um, and I had spoken to him earlier, you know, we'd love it if you would do the book. And I, this was not, I have to stress, this is not an authorized book in the context of nobody, uh, you know, nobody vetted the manuscript. They, the family members, her, uh, her lawyers saw the book when it actually came out. But I got amazing access to, uh, she, Bunny's a woman who saved everything and people saved everything for her. So there were letters written to her as a two-year-old. There were her diaries. There were her uh, letters from Jackie Onassis. Um, I spent weeks um, down at her farm in Virginia reading through all this material. And then I interviewed 175 people, including her closest friend, Hubert de Givenchy, Lee Radziwell, um, cast of thousands. And there you have it. That's the book. And that is the book. And it is a nice big book at that. Congratulations. And I'm assuming the families read the book. Uh, is that true? And, and if so, what's their reaction to it? I, you know, Bunny was complicated. I have to say that up front. She could be warm and charming and generous, and she could be intimidating and regal and was not always kind to her family members. And they were very honest with me about their experience. She, she also, she had many friends that she was very close to, and then she would, sometimes she would just cut people off, and it was very painful to them. I mean, I talked to one of her closest friends, a woman named Bab Simpson, who was a legendary Vogue editor. Um, Babs is over 100 years old. Um, and she just talked about after 50 years of friendship, suddenly it was just over and that she wasn't surprised because she had seen it with other people. So this is a long way of saying, I've been really pleased so far um, that um, mostly, you know, in fact, I have not heard, well, we, the family seems to be comfortable with the book. People tell me that uh, they've learned a lot about her that they didn't know. I talked to both of her grandsons. I talked to her son. I talked to uh, her nieces and nephews. Um, I talked to a lot of ex-spouses, uh, Senator John Warner, who had been married to Paul Mellon's daughter, Kathy. And again, um, you know, people feel like uh, they recognize her, which is what you always hope when you're writing a book. Right. It seems it seems like you got it right. You know, even though she's a very she was a very complex woman and it sounds like she had lots of different sides to her. Um, and I so I want to go back just a little bit. I mean, Bunny was was um, came from money. Uh, she was born into high society. Her grandfather invented the Listerine mouthwash. She married into wealth. Her husband was Paul Mellon, son of Andrew Mellon, Secretary of Treasury under Harding, Coolidge, and Hoover. Uh, she seemed to really have it all um, throughout her entire life. Do you feel like wealth defined who she was ultimately? That's that's a great question, Maria, and I've I've wrestled with this question. I think that if she hadn't been wealthy, um, she was hugely talented. I think she would have had a a major career. I mean, look at Martha Stewart of a different era. 
mm-hmm. phenomenal taste. Uh, Prestington's an art collector, was buying Rothko's before a lot of people were particularly interested in his work. She, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, her her life, she treated her life as a work of art, um, that everything, she, she kind of made everything beautiful. Her her farm in Virginia, it's a 5,000-acre farm, uh, Paul Mellon owned that farm when she married him, and she she moved the trees around, she she created new hills, uh, she really, landscaping was one of her passions, and obviously designing gardens. She had gardens the size of uh, three, gar- greenhouses the size of three football fields. Um, she did have many, many different residences that she enjoyed kind of building and decorating from Antigua, um, Washington, um, New York City, Paris, Cape Cod, um, Nantucket, um, one of the things that was fun when I began working on this piece was everybody had these funny bunny stories, and it was really about um, her idea of perfection and kind of all the things she did. And it's everything from she had her staff serve Lay's potato chips, but she made them take out the broken ones. I'm sure you do that, Maria. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you course. know, I'm compulsive um, that kind way. Of one of those. Right. <laughs> uh, yes, and she. Uh, she put in a pool at Cape Cod, but after it was done, she decided that the shallow end should be where the deep end was, so she had them dig it up and start all over again. Um, she had the gardeners rake up the leaves, but then put back the really pretty ones. Um, she would send her private plane if she uh, left a scarf somewhere or a hat. I mean, there was a level of, um, you know, she'd never, she's a woman who never had to uh, manage money. And um, but there was also a sense of wanting everything to be beautiful. When she gave uh, presents from Tiffany's, um, I love getting a little blue blue box, but for Bunny, this was déclassé. So when she was giving uh, Jackie Kennedy a pair of earrings, Bunny and her uh, in-house decorator spent hours searching the beach in Cape Cod for the perfect open shell that she could put in the earrings and then tie them up with raffia um, so that they would be, the presentation would be as beautiful as the gift. Um, <laughs> so there were kind of fun stories about all that. I also think uh, she, what interested me about Bunny is she was so intertwined with the American history of her era. And in reading through her diaries and her materials, she had thought about writing an autobiography and had written a number of essays, little things on scratches of paper, so I felt I was reliving the 50s, 60s, and 70s um, by reading through her her material. And it's everything from um, her times at the White House with Jackie. Jackie wrote these incredibly poignant letters to Bunny about um, how, during that period, about how so many people wanted to be Jackie's friend because they could stand in the spotlight, how Bunny hated the spotlight, um, how much Jackie valued her, and how worried Jackie was that Bunny would just sort of fade away at some point because she couldn't take the... You know, the public um, involvement. And then when Martin Luther King died, Bunny accompanied Jackie to the funeral. And Bunny wrote this essay about it. And obviously a lot of it was really poignant, but there was one thing. um, After the two women uh, were brought into the church, the VIP area, they were among the first there, and then everyone else began to come. And Richard Nixon was seated behind them. And as you know, Richard Nixon and... uh, he was defeated by <laughs> yes. uh, Jack Kennedy, and Richard Nixon kept trying to talk to Jackie, and Jackie finally turned to Bunny and said, make him stop, which I thought, I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> um, but 
but it was, you know, it was interesting just hearing about, you know, all the things they did together. And of course, Jackie was very involved with um, planning the flowers for JFK's funeral that um, Jackie asked to see Bunny within 24 hours or shortly after the president was assassinated. And Bunny, who was not a government employee, did the flowers for the Capitol, where the president's body lay in state, for the church, and for Arlington Cemetery. And then Bunny, alas, was asked back a couple years later to um, make the arrangements for Robert Kennedy's um, Mm. grave at at Arlington Cemetery. So she was very much part of that world. But there there are also fun stories of, you know, art gallery openings and you know, traveling across the globe and having many exotic friends. So that that was fun <laughs> for the book. And she also encouraged Jackie to remarry, didn't she? Aristotle Onassis. Um, she did. And in fact, um, one of the one of the pleasures I had for the book was uh, Bunny's grandson, Thomas Lloyd, invited my husband and I to Cape Cod to stay in what was Bunny's getaway cottage. She had sold her main house to Bill Koch, but Bunny had built right next to it um, a lovely two-bedroom cottage on the water that she used to get away from the staff, her her husband, when she wanted to be alone or she wanted to sketch, and we stayed there. It was almost, um, it felt a little bit haunted because they hadn't changed very much. You know, the dried flowers that Bunny had left were still on the desk, the hooked rugs, the, um, mm. you know, the ship models. But I was reading uh, in one of Bunny's diaries about there was a night where she and Jackie stayed there, um, uh, spent the evening looking out at the stars and discussing whether Jackie should marry Ari Onassis. Bunny thought that Jackie needed the protection at that point, both for her financial protection, the physical security, and she encouraged her to uh, go ahead with that wedding. But alas, we all know that it didn't turn out well. It did not turn out well, for sure. Well, we're going to take a quick break, Marilyn. We come back. I do want to follow up on uh, a little bit of the scandal late in Bunny Mellon's life that you talked about already, her relationship with um, presidential candidate John Edwards. So everybody stick around. More from Meryl Gordon, author of Bunny Mellon, in just a moment. We'll return in a second. Her Strings will be right back after a word from our advertisers. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network through iHeartRadio iTunes, Stitcher, we can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. Email sales at webmasterradio.fm today and get your message delivered now. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. TopSEOs sends you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. 
Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Purse Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Rutan. Welcome back. I've been chatting today with Meryl Gordon. She's the author of a brand new book that she'll be debuting at the Miami Book Fair called Bunny Mellon, The Life of an American Style Legend. Bunny Mellon, for those of you who don't know, uh, was very much an aristocrat back in especially the 1960s where she was close friends with Jackie and JFK um, and really witnessed so many of the key moments in the 20th uh, 20th century and had such a, a strong hand in uh, shaping what the Rose Garden looked like at the White House, among many other things. She died just a number of years ago at age 103, and she's a woman who seemed to, to be very vivacious, full of life, and and I think to some degree maybe just didn't care what people thought. Am I right, Meryl? I mean, because... Uh, she had a passion for politics. She had connections to politics uh, throughout her life, clearly. Um, and it was politics that uh, gave way to kind of the the last scandal, I guess, of her lifetime. Politics, indeed. Now, I want to roll back in time because this relates to this. Um, in 1994, Bunny's longtime lawyer, Alex Forger, uh, was named head of the Legal Aid Society. And he brought Bunny along to a White House reception with Bill and Hillary Clinton. And Bunny um, was used to having First Ladies uh, praise her, thank her. She had not only designed the White House Rose Garden for the Kennedys, but then she had been summoned back for consultations by Nancy Reagan. So she was expecting people to, to say, you know, how beautiful it was and how, um, how grateful they were. But when she was introduced to Hillary Clinton, um, who knows what was going on in, with Hillary that day, but Hillary wasn't that interested. She was kind of brusque. She was like, oh, that's nice. And she walked away. And uh, Bunny's lawyer told me that Bunny was steaming. She was really angered by this. And and on her way home, um, she later told people, she thought, well, you know, someday, someday I will, um, I will figure out what I want to do here. Um, fast forward to uh, 2004, John Edwards was running for office. And Bunny just thought he was terrific, so much so that even though she had no connection to him, she bought an ad in the local um, Middleburg newspaper uh, for his candidacy. Um, and as we all know, he, you know, he, uh, John Kerry uh, ran and lost. Uh, Edwards was his vice president, but Bunny remained enamored. Um, she made a close friend during this period named Brian Huffman, who was a North Carolina decorator. And Bunny at that point was going through a difficult period in her life. Her daughter, Eliza, had been um, severely brain damaged in a car accident and was unable to speak, unable to uh, walk or move her arms. And Bunny was caring for her, with, you know, a large staff of people on her farm, but it was a really difficult, painful period. And Bunny pointed out the framed poster of John Edwards. She showed that to her friend, Brian Huffman. Brian had a connection to um, the Edwards campaign, and he thought, wouldn't it be wonderful that Bunny could have this distraction? So he arranged for John Edwards to meet Bunny. He came to the farm. 
Bunny was so excited and happy. She was a Democrat. She wanted to elect a liberal Democrat. She gave $3 million to, to John Edwards' um, political action campaign and a, uh, an anti-poverty foundation set up. But then, uh, as you may remember, there was a, a bit of a scandal. The Federal Election Commission, Committee um, published a report saying John Edwards had used campaign money for $400 haircuts, mm-hmm. at which point Bunny decided that she would volunteer to help um, pay for any expenses. And through a convoluted series of um, transactions, uh, she gave 725000 to John Edwards, um, which was not considered by the... Uh, government to be a legal campaign contribution. She, um, she really adored John Edwards. He would call her. Um, he would visit with her. She really disliked Hillary. She wrote letters to her friend Brian calling her that old rag or the elf. Or, I mean, it was just reading this stuff was kind of <laughs> extraordinary. I was able to see the letters during that period. And um, she was most upset when John Edwards was banned from speaking to her before his trial. As you remember, um, he was acquitted on one count. There was a mistrial on the others, and the jury was deadlocked, and the prosecution declined to uh, retry him. Bunny stayed in touch with him um, to the rest of her life. Uh, She kept his framed picture by her bedside. She called him the weekend uh, before she died. And John Edwards came to her funeral, but it was an interesting, I was at the funeral, it was kind of an interesting, dramatic event. I mean, Bette Midler sang, and the actor Frank Langella told stories, um, but the family did not want John Edwards in the church, and he was turned away at the door and sent over to sit in the overflow section of that um, event. But but I thought, you know, um, he wanted to pay his respects, and that was kind of a nice thing. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully it it was a relationship born out of, I don't know, mutual admiration, perhaps, as opposed to just wanting her money, right? Which it seems like she would be a woman that would attract um, some unsavory characters over her lifetime, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure you have many examples of that in the book. Well, she had an accountant for many years who, alas, um, turned out to be his name was Kenneth Starr, but not the Ken Starr. The Warner Kenneth Day. Starr, yeah. Yeah, this is Ken Starr, the accountant who uh, stole a lot of money from Bunny and her son and many famous clients like Uma Thurman and went to jail for it. But that was that was terrible for her because she really had trusted him and you know he betrayed her, so that was difficult. She was a woman who what you know what kind of stayed with me in the book because she things were not always great. Her um, her second husband Paul Mellon had a 30-year affair with a um, woman named Dorcas Harden who owned a very well-respected dress shop in Georgetown. Bunny knew. She and her husband discussed divorce. They decided to stay married. But it was difficult for Bunny for all the obvious reasons because the whole world knew about it and she had to put on a public face. But what I was saying, whether it's during that period of her life or um, getting through uh, you know, her daughter's accident, Bunny loved nature. She loved nature in a way that... Um, she wrote, uh, she wrote these wonderful letters kind of talking about the dew in the morning and the kind of seeing the, the snow on the trees or the, um, the deer. Or, and she sketched little pictures, which I was allowed to use in the book, of you know, the things she saw around her, you know, flowers and trees. And she loved to garden. She would garden. Um, she had, of course, she had gardeners in all of her homes, but 
she was out there pruning away. She, even you know, in the last years of her life, people kept remarking that she had a very strong grip from all those years of uh, of pruning. So nature, that connection, nature really helped her get through whatever difficulties she had in her life. Well, and. Um, there were other things that helped her get through what she had in life. And I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole on this, but she's a woman who loved to shop. And um, in her lifestyle costs multiple millions of dollars each year. And do you think shopping was a compulsion for her? Do you think it was a salve for what ailed her? Oh, yes. I mean, uh, her possessions were auctioned off at Sotheby's and there were five floors and it was just jaw-dropping. I mean, there were, you know, dozens upon dozens of porcelain cabbages and little snuff boxes, and the jewelry could have filled up, you know, it felt like it was Tiffany's. Um, one of her friends said she almost couldn't go to sleep at night if she had not bought something during the day. And um, her husband left her $110 million. She went through that entire sum um, in five years. Uh, amazing. And so she borrowed against her paintings. And at the time of her death, um, she had bank loans of $250 million against her paintings. She had an estate even after that that was worth, uh, I've been told, more than $760 million. And the bulk of that estate, she decided to leave to charity. She left some money to her family, but most of it she left to her Oak Spring Library in uh, Upperville, Virginia, that is a scholarly center, has rare books, they're looking at environmental grants, they just gave um, money towards the Children's Hospital uh, in Washington, uh, First Lady's Garden. So it's interesting that even though she she lived large, she also at the end of her life really wanted um, the country to benefit by her largesse. So what do you think she would want to be remembered for of all the things that she did and all the things that she achieved? What do you think the one single thing Bunny would want history to remember her as? The White House Rose Garden. Mm-hmm. She she loved working on that. She was so honored. Um, she wrote a little thing that I found about how on, on a morning in August 1961, it was actually the Berlin Wall crisis weekend. Um, Bunny was scheduled to have the president and his wife over for lunch, and most people would have canceled and gone back to Washington, and the president wanted the Russians to see him as being strong. And Bunny wrote about how she was sitting in bed that morning, looking forward to the day, and her cook was preparing the favorite corn soup that the president liked, and the phone rang, and it was Jackie. And Jackie said, I can't talk long, I'm racing off to church, but Jack's going to ask you to do something today, and you have to do it. (laughs) And he said, well, what is it? And she said, design the White House Rose Garden. And then I got to go. And she hung up. <laughs> and Bunny said she just sat there in bed and she was thinking, oh, my God, I don't have any formal landscape training. I mean, she had trailed around her father's gardeners, the Olmsted brothers, whose father was Frederick Law Olmsted, famous designer of Central um, Park and other major places in America. And Bunny said she just sat there and she just was kind of a bit paralyzed. But she had been very close to her uh, maternal grandfather who um, was a uh, small town um, mayor and manufacturer and a lover of nature. And she said she thought about her grandfather, and her grandfather always said, if there's anything you can do um, for your country, you should do it. Mm. And that was really a triumph for her. She was so honored. It was so funny because she always wondered the name of Bunny, but when she sent um, sketches of the garden to the president, she signed them Rachel, uh, her formal <laughs> name. And I 
I was able to use some of those beautiful color mm. sketches of the Rose Garden in her book. So I think that, as you know, uh, the design has not been changed since right. when he did it in 1961 to 62. And, you know, our president today is holding news conferences mm-hmm. in the Rose Garden. So that's, that is her legacy. Yeah, and why change perfection, right? She totally got that right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Meryl, I wish you much success with this book. It's clearly going to be on the bestseller list if it's not already hit there already. And um, I welcome the the reviews from the Miami Book Fair, which, of course, is coming up here very, very soon. I'm sure that you will have a long line of people wanting to uh, talk to you about this book. Congratulations. And for everyone listening today to learn more about Meryl and her books, please go to MerylGordon.com. Meryl, thanks so much for being on today. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. And thanks to my producer, George, and join me right here next week for another edition of Purse Strings, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Until then, make it a great one. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.